Super Mario World has opened in Hollywood, and while Disney is still struggling with their union dispute, Universal decided to raise their pay. All that and more, coming up. Welcome to the show. I'm Philip. On the HAN Show, we bring the haunt industry to you every weekday. We have news, education, and on-location coverage from Halloween experiences around the world. Whether you're a professional or enthusiast, each episode helps you better prepare for Halloween. Outside of this podcast, we have videos, education, and even events. Links to everything we do are in the show notes. On Mondays, we break down large trends from the news and discuss why it matters to you in our weekly Green Tagged series, co-hosted by Scott Swenson and myself. And check back tomorrow for our weekly Haunt News Roundup. Okay, here's this week's installment of Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. From our studios in Los Angeles and Abu Dhabi, this is Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. I'm Philip, and I'm joined by my co-host, Scott Swenson of Scott Swenson Creative Development. Hello, Scott, from the future. <laughs> yes, yes. It's, it's always fun because I'm nine hours, I'm actually nine hours ahead of, uh, of Philip. So it's amazing that we actually sound like we're talking to each other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Time I'm travel. I'm just Time travel. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there has been some exciting news over here on the West Coast. Super Nintendo World has officially opened. Of course, it's been open kind of for a while because they've had cast member previews and then pass holder previews and technical rehearsals. And I feel like there's been videos going around for quite a while about uh, about this. Uh, but basically, the land features the One Up Factory Store, the Toadstool Cafe, and Mario Kart Bowser's Challenge, among the other attractions. So there, I went and visited as a pass member for pass member preview and got to play around the land and see what's going on. Um, the biggest takeaways for me is first that it's an, it's incredible. It's an incredible, just like, you know, in, in Japan, it, the look of it is really like the replication of this IP, which is, I don't know, something we could just keep talking about. Like, we just keep talking about, you know, Harry Potter being kind of the turning point where they really found a way to recreate, make it feel like you're walking through the, the Harry Potter. And this feels like you are in a game. It really does. You're looking all around you. The colors match. The lighting matches. You know, everything that you see in the game, there's animatronics. There's stuff happening all the time. And I think that's, you know, again, it reinforces the IP. That's important. Um, otherwise, I think the other things I was impressed is at is the, uh, you know, we also just, we've talked about all these things, right, individually, but it's interesting to see them all together. The AR on the ride itself you know, I thought I thought the way that it was it was done here in the U.S. is good. You know, I think that I do remember when we were having that debate and everybody was like, "The future of theme parks is going to be VR and blah blah blah." And we were like, you know, we talked about it, and I think Scott's consensus was exactly kind of what ended up happening was that it's not really going to be VR. You're going to want to still have that physical mix, and and basically that's exactly what it is. You know, you. And they've done it in such a good way. They've broken up the process so that you get your kind of your your the top of the goggles on first, so people have time to put them on, and then you're just slotting in the visor once you sit down. And so it's a much it speeds up the throughput in that way. And then the ride is still great with physical effects, even without the H the AR. And then you have the you know the augmented reality. So, um. So Scott, what what are you thinking? We're kind of seeing all this, plus the interactive elements around and the characters. There's a lot here. 
Well, and I think that, and again, I've not experienced it, so I can't really speak from a firsthand experience perspective. However, I do think, as you've pointed out, a lot of the stuff that we've talked about in the past and a lot of elements sound like they're all kind of coming crashing together, and, yeah. and that's great. And I think we're going to see this more and more. But I, want to, I don't want to forget the fact that these are things that are being added onto the storytelling within the IP. These are exactly. new tools. So it's although the, the AR is great, um, and I'm so glad it's AR versus, versus VR, um, because virtual reality, as we have seen in, with many vendors already, is it lasts a season. And then people are like, no, I want something real. Um, and I think, and I honestly think that, you know, the, uh, the, the, the pandemic and the, the cloistering of everybody has, uh, has made that even more important. They want a real life factor, uh, yeah. to whatever it is they experience. Now you can layer on top of that, which is what AR does. Um, you know, you can layer on top of that, but you still, they still want something that appears to be real, appears to be happening in, in the moment and is changeable based on where you're sitting, how you're looking, where you're, you know, so there is a certain sense of variety to it. So I think that's, I think that's exciting. Um, what I'm seeing, uh, here, uh, for example, at, at Warner Brothers World here in Abu Dhabi, uh, one of the things that make it so repeatable is the fact that they have taken the various intellectual properties, cause there are several and, uh, they're, they've taken them with the same sensitivity and added all of these wonderful little, I won't even call them Easter eggs, but the, the wonderful set decor and um, attention to detail. So every time I go, I see something different. Um, so I think that is a trend that, you know, <clears throat> Harry Potter started, but it's not just happening in California and in Florida, it's happening worldwide. And I think that that's really important, especially if, you are in an indoor space and in a smaller confined area, you have to put, you have to cram more into that small little box. Um, so I, I, I think that that kind of detail is what's going to aid us in repeatability as well. One of the things that I've seen interesting here, and I'm curious to see if it's going to happen at, at Super Nintendo World as well, and that is that as <clears throat> attractions have aged here, um, they have added additional details and changed yeah. others. So it still has a living, breathing quality so that as you return, it's got, oh, wait, when did that come here? And when did that change? And, and so I think that's going to be important too, moving forward, um, all staying true to the IP, all staying within the storyline, but keeping, keeping the world and the realm alive so that um, it seems even more real and more immersive. Because let's face it, the whole purpose of doing immersive entertainment is to create a world that you feel like you're actually living in it. Yeah. And that yeah. means it's, it's got to change. That means it has to evolve. I think going down that vein, that was the most impressive thing to me. I of course, I love Bowser's Challenge. I love the fabrication. I love the light and all that kind of stuff. But what you just said, that was the thing that stuck out to me. In essence, they are taking an IP that is a game and they're making you feel like you can play the game. And that is so hard to do for what you're saying. It needs to change, it needs to be different. And that's why you play games so that, you know, you, you play Mario because you're not sure who's going to win, how it's going to work. Like, and, and I just, the, the idea again, just like the wands, it, but it's like the next iteration. It's like the next branch in that wand type of technology of, 
you can put on the bands and you can go around and you can complete activities around there to get points. I mean, you, you know, the environment is interactive. And again, back to the story, like it wouldn't be impressive if it weren't exactly what you do in the game. <laughs> like that's, that's what makes it impressive that you can do the same thing that you do in the game, but it's you doing it. And that is the thing to me that I'm like, oh, this, this is something like this, this is what was impressive to me. And what's more also, like, like you mentioned, the attention to detail, there, there are character meeting greets there and that's all fine and dandy. But if you are a player in the area with your band on, you know, the meet and greets change for you. They, they interact for you in the same way that if you were to meet the, 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 characters in the game and you were playing a certain character or doing a certain thing, they would react to you in that way, naturally in, in the story, in the world. And they were doing that in this way. And this, you know, this isn't rocket science, right? Like a lot of people have, have done these types of things and the wands. I mean, there's all these little, again, like you said, crashing together. What, to me, what delineates this thing is that all these elements are crashed together, but also it recreates the activities that you can do in the game. Like this isn't an IP like a book, you know, or a thing like that. This is a game that people already have familiarity with playing already. So the fact that they can extend that play in the same way in story and according to the storyline in the physical version, that's what's impressive to me. And I, I would also take it one step further and say the gaming industry is massive. The game, like gaming industry makes so many other content fields look tiny by comparison. It has grown into like a behemoth out there. And this this makes me think of a whole new world of possibility of if we if they can figure this model out, then they can go and create theme parks that are extensions of every major game out there. If you know if if you can just go into it and and, and play in the same way that you're playing in the game. And that, and that to me was the biggest thing, you know, that, that made it, that made it stand out. I mean, you know, th there's a, there's a quality bar minimum and I'm not trying to underplay how, how quality, how, how great it looks. I'm just saying to me, it was this reality of I can play in the same way in this world. And that is the impressive thing. And I think it's also important to recognize no matter how large any industry gets, whether it's film or gamers or whatever, um, you, when you create something that is a live experience, you have to make certain that it works as a live experience. And what you're telling me is this clearly does. But I think it's also important to recognize that it works as a live experience for people who may not be as familiar with the gaming world. You know, you have to be, that's the tricky part. You have to be, uh, you have to be engaging enough in the, in your storytelling so that guests who don't necessarily know every in and out, every level of of any Super Nintendo game um, can also enjoy the live experience and can enjoy the live experience, especially by watching those who are totally into it. Just because you mentioned the integration of character meet and greets, um, one of the things that I've seen here at the, uh, at the, the WB Hotel, which is just literally across the plaza from, from Warner Brothers World, at night... Um, they have costume character appearances. They have uh, Bugs and Daffy. However, at night, Bugs is in his pajamas, as is Daffy, and they're meeting, meeting and greeting children in the lobby, getting ready for bed. So again, taking the IP 
and extending it so that it is <clears throat> totally integrated into the world that these people are living. Um, and that takes it even out of the park and into the hotel experience. So now it's like Bugs and Daffy are ready for bed now. And that makes it specific to the time of day, specific to the location. Um, and I realize it's it's not exactly what you're talking about, but in, if you take it down to its barest thematic essentials, it really is because it's making it so that the characters are meeting you where you are, you know, where you are in the gaming, gaming hierarchy, where you are physically in the space. Um, and it's all really important because I think that creates that real world sensitivity. Yeah. Another example of all of this I wanted to bring up here is uh, an announcement we saw coming out from Universal in Japan. And looks like starting March 17th, you'll have the chance to join Hogwarts students in the Wizarding World Harry Potter area and learn the proper way to greet a hippogriff in hopes of receiving a bow in return. They also have two other smaller creatures that you can interact with that are from the Fantastic Beasts kind of thing. And I think that's another example of this. When I read this, that's exactly... It's like, again, bringing them to the level. You can you can just... you can I, Obviously, it hasn't launched yet, but I can envision something similar to what Scott's saying, where it's like, if you're not, the cast member can explain a hippogriff to you if you are don't know what it is and can teach you, they can bring you to the level where you can interact. But people that already know, I'm can just, you know, I'm sure they can just walk up and just perform the ritual on their own. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think the idea here is if you've got a strong enough story, if you've got if your IP has a rich enough world that it's it's based on, you can meet guests where they are. You can you can come in and say, you know, you're joining us at this point in your understanding of the story, and the story itself is rich enough. And what's really cool is if you if you are experiencing it with someone who is fully aware of the IP, then they actually become additional characters in telling of that story because they can help mm -hmm. you and say, you know, when you meet a hippogriff, you have to do this and you have to do that, or or some of the other characters, you know, from fa from uh, Fantastic Beasts. Um, <clears throat> you got to here's how you interact with them so you don't scare them off, and so it's. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting, and of course, you know the the whole Harry Potter the whole Harry Potter world is such a phenomenon. I mean, you know, you mentioned it earlier that this is kind of really shown the the impact of creating these immersive worlds that are unabashedly true to the original story that um, can can bring people so deeply in. I mean, you know, you this is an example the. Um, the museum exhibit is is now going to New York um, after mm -hmm. being in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. uh, it is uh, they've done you know locally here in the in in Abu Dhabi they've done the announcement here that that it's going to they're going to add a uh, Wizarding World here, which is going to be very interesting. I'm curious to see how it's going to work because it's uh, locally magic is one of those iffy things as far as culture, um, but uh, but I think. If if any if any IP involving magic can can supersede that, it's going to be the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. So, yeah, it's 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 great to see that this kind of um, this kind of world world storytelling, immersive storytelling, um, interactive storytelling, is is being embraced and and fostered by the rich and incredibly layered. IP of Harry Potter and also, you know, um, 
uh, Mario and, and other gaming scenarios. Because let's face it, mm-hmm. gaming scenarios, the whole purpose of first-person gaming is to create a reality that you can live in and affect. So to yes. do that yeah. live just seems like a very natural, a natural progression. Yes, that's exactly what I'm excited about is, you know, in, in parallel with everybody talking about the metaverse, it's like, almost like what if you didn't need the metaverse? Like what if the technology came to a point where you can just step into Mario, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and play the game. And I mean, that's, that's kind of what we're experimenting with here. And that's what makes me excited about it. Um, I will note that the only concern I have for the land is just that in Hollywood, it's very small. And I think, again, the interactivity, I think people are going to want to hang around for a while to to play, to do all the interactive moments and to meet the characters and, and do all that stuff, not just go in and ride the ride. And because it is such a small footprint, you know, it, it's going to become difficult. Even when I was there for the Passholder preview, it was, you know, most of the land was a line. Like they kind of were, it's one of those things where you have, you have a like three foot walkway to walk forward and every other inch is taken up by people in, in lines for, for one thing or another. And just because there's so many interactives and the characters each have a line and the cafe has a line and the store has a line, everything has a line. So, but that was the same thing with Harry Potter, right? But, you know, remember back in the day, (laughs) nine hours to ride Forbidden Journey and then a line for the wands and, you know, so. And a line line to get into the candy shop. I mean, it was. Yeah. 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 So, but that's madness. (laughs) You know, and we're seeing, and we're, we're seeing the same thing with, uh, with, um, you know the, the the Star Wars integration at at Disney. Yep. Um, it's it, it, with that that immersiveness, with that that uh, intimacy that they're creating in some of these attractions. It's creating these gigantic queue experiences, or as some theme park bean counters might say, another opportunity for a front of line upgrade. So oh, Lord help us. Okay, tell All me right, I'm well. wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. No, you're right. I mean, it, oh. you know, we were just having this discussion about about not necessarily about uh, about Mario, but about about Star Wars, and that is, you know, there is now a separate front of line pass that you can purchase just for uh, just to enter the the Star Wars realm. So yeah, it, yeah, correct. Well, and also in order to play the interactive pieces in super mario you have to buy the band to be able to do it which but again i would argue it it is still kind of in story because you know it's 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 kind of like it makes sense like it's still tied to the story like they did again like the one you know like they did a they found a way to make it so that it's tied to the story and you know conversely uh, it, it's it, it's not wrapped in the story to, to to buy the pass for the the Star Wars area, and then even with Mickey's Runaway Railway, the only way to get on that ride physically is either to get into the virtual queue or to purchase a Lightning Lane ticket. You can buy your way onto the ride, even though it's you know it's not open to the public. You can't you cannot go stand in the line. There is no line standing. You have to buy it or to get the lottery. And they didn't come up with an in-story way to explain that. You know, so so I, I will give Universal credit, but to your point of following the money, um, all of these are upcharges. <laughs> right. 
Right. Well, and, you know, we've talked about this pretty much as long as we've done the show. And that is, yeah. if, we, if, you can take, if you can take a story IP and you can make it so that it blurs the lines between merchandise and culinary and, um, you know, experience and ride and show and, you know, the, the days of, and now it's time for the show, are completely gone. Or yeah. will be very shortly. Yeah. Uh, it you kind of have to create these worlds now, um, and and with a large number of of my clients as a consultant, they're coming to me and they're saying, "We want you to do this X Y Z attraction, but we want it to have this element which starts before, and this element which ends after, and this element which has culinary, and this." So <clears throat> moving forward, we're going to see that kind of of integration, so that again. You're living the IP. When order for you to be able to do all this, you need great staff members to really make the roles come to life. And we talked a while back about Dollywood and Dolly's education fund that they announced a while back. And I commented as well that when I went to see Dollywood, how blown away I was at the volume of entertainment and the volume of diverse, dedicated talent. And in I honestly, <laughs> I honestly was taken aback um, on many levels. Um, and uh, after speaking with some of the cast members, they kind of were like, this is the thing. This is like the Broadway of this area. Unless you're going to go try and make it somewhere else, this is the gig that you want. You know, and uh, to just refresh everyone's remembrance, right? The education fund made it so that any employee, whether they're part-time or seasonal or full-time whatnot, could get 100% of their tuition and books reimbursed for their degree, did not have to relate to something in the parks, whatnot. Um, and we talked last episode about the Disney Union and blah, blah. And I kind of was, you know, Scott and I were kind of, you know, the, the classic, uh, how do we fix this problem? And uh, I think her solution was a good solution in that it creates a career path for somebody. You know, you're like, you know, if, if, if you don't have a way of dressing up a churro cart as a lifetime career, then it's kind of, you almost make it like the military. Like you work here, you put in your five years at the churro cart and we'll pay for your degree. There you go. Right. Like, and I think it's, it's kind of brilliant um, that she did that. So a little update on the story. There was a, uh, a story ran, um, about her program. And they kind of just said, it seems like it's going really well because TripAdvisor selected Dollywood as the best theme park in North America. And they put them above all the Disneyland and Universal properties in terms of how, how well the, the benefits are. So it seems like it's going well with them. And to add to this discussion of how do we compensate our labor, um, Universal this week is increasing their starting wage to 17 per hour, up from 15. They're also gonna go in and adjust legacy rates to match the, the, the increase. So they're not, it's, this isn't a story like it so often is of the new hires are gonna make more than the, yeah, the new hires are gonna make more than you that have been in for 20 years. It's not gonna, so they're kind of getting around all of that. So I think the contrast is very stark. Again, we're, look, we're talking about Super Mario, we're talking about these IPs and the story, and then now we're talking about how Disney can't get their act together with their labor union and Universal decided just to give them money, right? That is a thing. And, and uh, the last thing I'm gonna say is, last time Scott and I were kind of like, how do we solve this? And I found a 
kind of a, a discussion on this very point about this type of careers from Professor Scott Galloway. He is a professor at the NYU Stern School of Business, and he kind of has some ideas for it. He's, he's not a policy maker, but he has ideas which I kind of want to get Scott's thought on. One is he kind of said what it should be is adjusted for the local area at about 20% above poverty. So it shouldn't be like, you know, it shouldn't be like everyone has to make 17, like universal. It's kind of like, what area are you in? You know, Dollywood, the Tennessee area is cheaper, so it can be lower just as long as it's like 20% above poverty. And then age gate it, basically like pick a number, 18, 21, 25, whatever, and kind of be like, this doesn't apply really to people who are, you know, if you're just a college kid looking for extra money or if you're a high school kid looking for extra money, then you don't need to really be concerned about trying to make it a career ladder, right? It's just extra money in the same way that the Dollywood, the Dollywood thing is. And then he's like, you know, put in an exemption for very small companies. So it's a very small 10 or less or whatever. Um, so I don't know. What do we think about all of these data points? The Universal, we have Dollywood's answer. Universal's throwing money. Dollywood's throwing education. And Galloway is suggesting a different reform of a policy. What do you think, Scott? Well, I think that, you know, I think what it sounds like Dollywood has done is kind of what Hershant really kind of led the way with years and years ago mm-hmm. um, by creating things like, uh, and I can't remember the exact name of it, but there was a, there was a fund that they created that would help employees in need. So it's it's a career ladder that is building the person, not the employee. Um, and this just seems yeah. to, to play right into that. Um, and there are those who are going to say, well, this makes a lot of sense from a, a, a heart standpoint, but it doesn't make a lot of sense from a business standpoint. And I think we're going to see this to prove them wrong. Um, I think that yeah. by investing in the person, you are actually... Um, not directly, but indirectly investing in uh, investing in the employee, employee. And I think what we're going to see here is you're going to be investing in the next generation of employee. I think what's going to happen yeah. is you're creating um, you're creating a dedicated, and this is something that Disney did years and years ago and has kind of gotten away from, is you're you're investing in a dedicated lifelong commitment to the brand to the company. And, you know, when, when these kids, um, and I can say kids cause I'm old, but when these kids get to, you know, they're having children, their kids hit, you know, 16, 17, 18, they're looking for a, a gig. It's like, well, you know, you can go back and work at, at, at Dollywood. Cause if it weren't for Dollywood, I wouldn't have an education. We wouldn't have a, we wouldn't have a roof over our heads, you know? So I yeah. think that's, I think that is a very, it's a smart long-term plan. Um, I will say I'm concerned a little bit about Universal. I know money is an issue. I do. It's not the only issue. And I think that just throwing money at it um, is very short-sighted. Um, mm-hmm. As long as... Now, it, it's not if there is if this is step one and there's additional steps, which I don't know. Um, but if this, is, if this is their whole solution, we're going to go from 15 to 17 and that's going to solve all of our problems, they're going to find that that's not true. Um, yeah, you know, the quality of life is becoming more and more uh, an issue, and more and more a commodity for employers to look at, um, especially for the age range that the vast majority of theme parks are looking for. Um, so, I, 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 if this is if this is step one, great. If this is the final solution, I doubt that it's going to be. Um, and as far as the Galloway report, I, I think that. Uh, 
I think that 20% above the poverty line is great. I'm questioning, does that mean all frontline jobs or is this just theme park jobs? How, what is this report referring to, Philip? Because I really don't know. Uh, he was referring to frontline work. So okay. I think he meant overall, all type of things, um, not theme park specifically. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Um, I, and you know, again, it would be hard, right? Because us, it's one thing to say, you know, like a mom and pop restaurant, that's just a family, they should be exempt because, you know, they have their kids in there and that's, that's right. fine. That's acceptable. But you know, uh, uh, I would argue a, a mom and pop restaurant is probably struggling as much as some of the small kind of nonprofit or independent places that we know. And even though they might have a lot more employees, they look bigger, but you know, they're still hard. So I, I don't know. The other, the other, well, and the other issue is when you've got a mom and pop in the same market as a chain restaurant that is required to do the 20% above poverty line, well, yeah, they may be exempt from having to do it, but they may not be able to get employees unless they do it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they're, they're competing yeah. with a, a 20% higher rate, wage, potentially. And uh, so if they want to staff, they're going to have to fall in line, whether they're exempt or not. You know, exempt is nice yeah. to say. Um, and, you know, having a, an age limit is nice to say. But when it finally comes down to it, when you're competing for the same work pool, you're going to have to follow, you're going to have to meet what, what the climate will bear, you know? I mean, you're going to have to elevate yeah. your pay rate to meet the ones around you. So I think this makes, this is a great theory. It's a great starting off point, but it's not a solution and it's not an end. It's, it's certainly something to open discussions and, and I think that we yeah. need that, but I don't necessarily believe that this is, this is the solution stamp done because these, these exemptions all sound good on paper, but in reality won't mean anything. Yeah. So the argument being basically, if we're going to tie it all together, that if a 16-year-old was going to get a job, they're more likely to go to Universal to make 17 than Funspot, who might not pay them that because they're 17. And Correct. Because they don't think that Correct. a 17-year-old is worth $17. Correct. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So in, in, in an inverse way, it kind of forces then everyone, even if they're exempt or, you know, smaller to do it. Or the same thing you could say, you could say universal or the restaurant down the road that's owned by a family. Same thing. They're not, there's, you know, we are yeah. seeing this, we are seeing this with yeah. all of my clients. It's the, yeah. the, uh, the highest paid, the highest paid hourly wage sets the tone and becomes the largest competition for all the other, um, all the other organizations who are looking for similar talent in the market. Yeah. Yeah. The last thing I was going to kind of ask is, didn't it, wasn't it like this before? I mean, you mentioned earlier about how you were saying in terms of thinking about working for a place longer, didn't it used to be like that where you would, you know, when I was a CP, even when I was a CP there, I was working with people who had been there for, their entire lives. Mm -hmm. And then they, they, their kids then were working there. And I feel like we've gotten away from that. I guess my generation has gotten away from that. Like it's, it's, you know, it was kind of like, we're not going to say at the company, the company doesn't stick up for us and we're just going to change jobs every year. But previously, wasn't it, I mean, you know, when, when you were growing up, wasn't it like you would, it, was it more normal to, to think about an entire career at something like, like, like a theme park or being there the whole time? Well, and w I think I was probably the last 
I think I was probably the last generation to, I'll call it the gold watch mentality. You know, you, you, you mm-hmm. get a gold watch mm-hmm. at 50 years or 25 years or 30 years yeah. or whatever it was. Um, and, but I, and then, you know, there is an argument and there's, I am not, I'm not an economist, so I really can't go into which came first, the chicken or the egg. Was it the, because because there are there are people who will argue, well, the the next generation didn't want to stick around long enough, and there's also an argument that says the companies didn't want to invest the money in long term yeah. because they could, you know, if you get rid of somebody after ten years and hire somebody for the same position at you know twenty percent less, then you know it it makes good business sense. And now the pendulum seems to be swinging back saying, you know, investing in the person versus investing in the short-term employee may be the better way to go to keep consistency. So we shall see, we shall see. Well, and we shall see hopefully all of you next week because that's the end of another show. Uh, Thank you all so much for joining us. Please share Green Tag Theme Park in 30 with all your friends and your palatable enemies. Uh, On behalf of Philip Hernandez, my name is Scott Swenson, and this is Green Tag Theme Park in 30. We will see you next week. Today's episode was produced and edited by me, Philip Hernandez, with post-production by David Swope. Support for this episode comes from Gantam Lighting and Controls. See what you're missing with a free demo. Sign up at gantam.com slash demo. We release a free weekly industry newsletter. Sign up on our website or at the link in our show notes. The Haunted Attraction Network team includes Daryl Plunkey, Emily Louise Rua, Megan Spells, Gavin Burns, and Maximus Bryant. Our partner stations include A Scott in the Dark, Scare Track, The Scare Factor, and Haunt Topic Radio. Finally, please, please, please rate and subscribe to our show wherever you're listening. And until next time, Haunters, stay scary. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production.